everybody. Welcome to another Savage Gentleman podcast. Today we have with us none other than Randy, the natural couture. A lot of you guys I know have been really excited about this one. I, I teased it earlier and uh, Randy, I've actually got a bunch of questions from guys, uh, some of our followers that I want to get into, okay. but man, really excited to have you on here, bud. Well, thanks. It's a pleasure to be on. I apologize profusely for screwing it up on Friday. <laughs> it was a great week with SHOT Show and uh, you know, um, SHOT Show is always a mad, mad, mad week and uh, it was very good. It was a little more subdued this year okay. than past as far as the crowds and stuff, but it was still huge. Um, nice. Yeah, no, no, no worries at all, man. I, I was actually surprised when we were looking to schedule um, and you, and you picked Friday. I was like, Ooh, man, I, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work with, with shot show because you know, every time I've been, it has been absolutely a madhouse and, and total chaotic. And so, you know, when, when, when the schedules got mixed up, I was like, yeah, I've, I figured something like that could happen. Cause it's, you know, I imagine for a guy like you, you got a lot of places to be during, during that time. Well, if you'd have told me even 10 years ago that I needed an assistant, I would have <laughs> laughed at you, but man, I don't know what I'd do without her now. And, and uh, she definitely helps me keep this crazy schedule straight and keep me on track. Very um, cool. But it is what it is. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, it's funny because I, I don't think I have anywhere near the the amount of commitments and stuff going on as you do. And I find that I probably could use an assistant my own self. I'm like, man, just uh, scheduling and, and keeping track of stuff is not my forte. Um, you know, this whole this whole small business thing, believe it or not, is is not really my wheelhouse either. You know, I don't I don't mind getting on a podcast and talking to somebody, but running the Savage Gentleman Company is way harder than, than I felt like fighting ever was. And, you know, that's uh, for those who don't know, obviously you, you're no stranger to the, uh, to the pain game, um, you know, highly decorated hall of famer, multiple time UFC champion, um, in multiple weight class, heavyweight and light heavyweight. And just, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure most of our people know who you are, but I, I guess I have to at least, you know, give a quick, intro but but for you uh, one of the things that i wanted to ask about is like your transition from well really all your transitions right being from going from the military to fighting to now acting man that's a that's a hell of a hell of a hell of a shift from one thing to the other yeah and, and transition as you know and any of our veterans out there certainly know uh, transition could be a real challenge for a lot of folks. And I've been very, very fortunate. You know, when I walked away from the uniform after six years in the U.S. Army, I had a built-in purpose. I had gotten a college scholarship after those 88 Olympic trials as a soldier. And, and uh, so when I left the Army in ETS that summer, uh, I drove straight across the country from, from Fort Campbell, Kentucky to Stillwater, Oklahoma, and, and started school and Man. purpose was built right in there. I was going to be a national champion and, and, uh, get my degree. And so I didn't have to wonder who am I now? What am I going to do? Fortunately, uh, as I wound down after 14 years as a professional fighter, I had already opened this door of, of acting and I had all these other business ventures that, that were taking up a lot of the background noise when I was fighting and training. Now, nothing got in the way of, a training camp and a fight, but uh, I juggled the acting in between and then all the business stuff, the clothing company, the gym, 
you know, all the other stuff that I was doing. I also started the 501c3 for Extreme Couture GI Foundation in 08. And, and so those purposes were built into that transition and walking away from being a professional athlete for 14 years too. So I feel very fortunate in that there was no downtime. I, I didn't flounder. I didn't, mm -hmm. I already knew and was laser focused on what the next goal was going to be and where I was headed. So in, in that regard, I'm, I'm very fortunate. Do you think, do you think that was by design? Do you know, knowing yourself, was that something that you set up intentionally or, or do you think you fell into it? And, and if you did fall into it, what advice would you give for some guys to maybe um, who are transitioning and, and, and without purpose, finding a way to set up a purpose for themselves? That yeah, well, that, that is the big challenge. Uh, you know, I think I was just fortunate. Mm -hmm. I wish I would, I could say it was that forward thinking and, sure. and set it all up before I, I knew I was going to walk away, but it didn't go down that way. Um, I think, you know, that's been one of the cool things about, about running the chapter of MVP here in, in Las Vegas at Extreme Couture. And, you know, I've got 40 or 50 veterans that show up at the gym every Friday to, to get their sweat on and then sit on those mats and, and talk and share and, you know, that peer on peer counseling, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of guys struggling, um, the statistics speak for themselves. I don't think we need to reiterate that. We have to do something to turn that back for sure. And, uh, I guarantee it. Every one of those meetings, there's somebody in the circle that's been in that spot that you're in that struggled with that thing you're in. So mm -hmm. getting reconnected to that veteran community, uh, and those like-minded uh, individuals who speak the same language that we do has been remarkably powerful. We've helped guys get out of homeless shelters, find and connect with jobs. Uh, you know, Extreme Couture GI Foundation is helping some of these guys stay afloat and keep their bills up to date. And, mm -hmm. and some guys need a little extra professional counseling sure. that, a, that a peer on peer situation isn't, isn't going to help them with. So we're connecting them with some counselors and getting them some professional help to develop more tools and put more tools in the tool belt to transition and get through that transition smoothly. That's so, man, um, that's really cool. Um, <clears throat> any of you out there can, can check us out betsandplayers.org. Uh, we have zoom meetings as well as in-person meetings. We're in seven cities across the country, just getting in there, sweating, getting to feel a little better about yourself. That sweating creates a connection that mm -hmm. wouldn't otherwise have existed. And you're a lot more likely to open up to those other guys in the circle yep. and one of them has probably struggled with the same stuff that you're struggling with. So, and that's, we, we have to take care of each other. Yeah. Expecting it, Uncle Sam to do it is, is asinine. It's not going to happen. You've got to do Well, we, 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 I think, man, if you, if you haven't figured out that, um, <laughs> that maybe the, the, the powers that be or the people that we've put in charge, maybe are not the most efficient at, getting things done. If you haven't, if, if these past couple of years haven't um, illuminated that to you, I don't know what to tell you. Like putting your, putting your, you resting your hands solely in, um, in that cluster fuck uh, is, is, is not anything that I would recommend. And so, so I think a grassroots movement of, of, you know, what you're doing is what's necessary. And, and what, like you said, you know, that, that mat time sweating together, that is where the magic happens. Um, I, I think as men, we do need to collectively strive towards something, you know, and not just talk about a thing, but actually do a thing. And the, the, the activity doesn't necessarily matter. And it doesn't matter if you're building a deck or you're punching each other in the face. It's, it's that, 
you know, working together um, in, a, in, a, in a combined effort to improve and get better. And then the conversations that follow that, I think that's where, you know, that that peer to peer counseling is really valuable and, and sadly lacking today. So it's amazing that, you know, you guys are out there doing that with with your organization, with MVP and everything else, because, yeah, like you said, it's it's very necessary. And it's something that, you know, we're we're trying to do with Savage Gentlemen as well. And I think, you know, th- the more people out there that are doing this, I think the better off we're all going to be. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on the thread. I see, you know, we see the guys that step up and ask mm-hmm. the question, hey, man, I need some help here. Does anybody have any ideas how to deal with this or have, have a, an option here or, or an option there? And, and I think that connection, you know, getting back with the guys that spoke the language that had our backs when, when the chips were down, those are the people I want to be around. Those mm-hmm. are the folks I rub elbows with. And it's through them that I'm going to find that new purpose, that I'm going to find that, that next goal and that next thing to focus my attention and my energy on. So I think it's hugely important. And, uh, you know, we recognize that, transition for professional athletes is very, very similar to that of our, of our vets. And it's been a little harder to break through, honestly, to the athletes. They have this bravado. Oh, I was in the NFL. And it's a little harder to break down that and get, get behind that ego and get them to admit that there's vulnerabilities there and that they're struggling mm-hmm. with who they were. I don't have to sit around with many amazing guys like Tony Gonzalez and listen to him say, yeah, should have seen me last year. I was literally Superman. Now who am I? Yeah. I mean, that doesn't hit you. And you don't see the, you know, how we relate to each other and, and what we share, then you're not getting it. You're missing it. But yeah, uh, I think, you know, I think it's important to see these guys who we, who we look up to, right. When you see them, you see them on the screen or you see them, you know, in the cage or on the field or whatever. And, you know, to remind ourselves that, Hey, they're guys just like the rest of us. Yeah. They've done some extraordinary things. Certainly. I mean, that's not to, to be dismissive of their talent and ability, but at the end of the day, they're still going through a lot of the similar stuff. And those guys still need um, a, a circle, a band of brothers to, to rely on. And yeah. without that, we're all going to fail. We're all going to flounder. And so one, one thing I wanted to ask is when you're, when, when you've been, somewhat initiated right you, you're you're you've done something whether it's the military or a sport or or you've kind of just you've had that purpose and then you lost it you know it's one thing to refine it again but but what would you say for the guys who maybe never found it to begin with I, I think there's also a lot of guys who you know have maybe never been accepted into that inner circle of of you know accomplished men what do you recommend for those guys to maybe break into something like that well i think you know we have to be willing to put ourselves out there uh to to find that passion to find that thing that that flips that switch that you know that gets you fired up and and makes you light up i think that's what we're all looking for is that thing that makes us light up you know whether that was military service um or or service of some sort or or that particular sport or endeavor that that made you light up. Obviously for me, it became wrestling, mm-hmm. you know, got into wrestling for all the wrong reasons, trying to get the attention of a deadbeat dad. And <laughs> I found, you know, I found my calling. I found a place where I seemed to fit and flourish. And those coaches were very important. I didn't have that dad kicking me in the ass or, or, or throwing an arm around me when I needed, you know, mm-hmm. a, a pat on the back. And, and so those coaches became those guys and those 
brothers that I was on that mat sweating and bleeding with became very, very important too. They were the support system. I think almost to a man, we missed that squad. Or if you're an athlete, you missed that locker room. Those were those mm-hmm. guys to share with and, and show vulnerability. It kind of forbids us or, or doesn't permit us to do. To show any weakness, that's 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 a faux pas, certainly as a soldier and, and as a professional athlete as well. Your opponents smell blood in the water and you've got a big problem. Yep, so yep. getting over our own training and our own mindset is, is a huge piece of it. But finding that passion is, is what it's all about. And sometimes you'll find that through education, through putting mm-hmm. yourself out in school and like, man, I went back to college at 25 years old after six years in the army. I was like, what the hell? I don't remember how to study. <laughs> I don't remember how to do all of this, but, you know, get right back in there. And, and through that, you find that passion, that thing that, again, makes you light up and that you're willing to go make sacrifices for to try and be the best at or, or to get after. And uh, I, it's I not an you, easy thing to do. Yeah. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head is the the notion of finding it, right? It you have to go out and do things. I think at the end of the day, there's no substitute for experience. And I think there's a lot of guys who sit around and they, they want to be this guy, or they want to be looked at as this guy, but they maybe haven't probably haven't ever done anything to receive that recognition. And not to say that that's why we do things for recognition, but man, no one, no one's going to invite you into their circle um, if you're just dead weight, right? You, you need to go well, out and, and it's not going to find you. You have to get your ass up and go find it. Right. And yep. That's how it is. You can sit on your couch in front of that TV with the remote control all day, all day long. If you want to, you're probably not going to find that your that next purpose and that next thing that's going to make you, make you light up and, and, and get after it. No. And, and I think too many people are kind of expecting for expecting the next Netflix series to come out. And that's the thing that really just, you know, motivates me and gets me going. And, and that's obviously not true. Um, you, you were talking about wrestling in college and um, as a division one wrestler myself, I can appreciate that. However, the difference, and this was a question one of the guys had um, guy that I, that I used to train with, what was it like wrestling at 28 years old? Because I, I know what it's like, as you know, right out of high school and it's freaking brutal, but at man, in, in, in your mid to late twenties, that's gotta be a little bit different ball game. I wrestled into my mid thirties. I wrestled all the way up to 2000. Uh, and then I retired from, from the sport in 2000 after the Olympic trials in, in Texas. Um, I think, um, it's just an endeavor that I've been doing since I was 10 years old. I really had other than, the year I went to basic training in AIT, I really didn't have much downtime. I was never in, I never, never had to sit out. I never, you know, I was always engaged in some form of wrestling that entire time from the time I was 10 all the way through the 2000 Olympic trials. Um, And I think that that commitment to, and regularity Mm -hmm. causes your body to adapt and, and to, you know, keep that fitness level high. Now you're never climbing yourself back up into shape. That's something we certainly do as we're younger. You know, you get out of a competition, you're commiserating, you're celebrating, then you don't get back on the mat for a few weeks and, and you let it all go. And then next thing you know, you oh God, I got a competition coming and you get back at it and try and climb your happy ass back into shape. And that's where those injuries and a lot of that, those setbacks come in. So I think having that kind of flatline 
constantly, you know, engaged and, mm -hmm. and active and wrestling allowed me some longevity that I probably wouldn't have otherwise found. Um, yeah. Did the body start talking to me? Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, thank, thankfully, as we get older, we get smarter. We don't do some of the stupid shit we did when we were younger. Yep. And, and we refine our tactics and we refine our training programs and we find the right people. We gravitate towards the right people that are not only going to push us to the limit and make us better, iron sharpens iron, but also take care of each other and take care of us. Not out to prove anything, no ego. I mean, our motto at Extreme Couture is check your ego at the door. It's only going to get in the way. Yep. You know, you got you to be humble and, you know, operate with humility. And every single person I meet is better at something than I am. And if I operate from that place of humility, I have an opportunity, an open mind and an open heart to learn what that is and learn from that person. So humility is a huge thing and certainly something I try to live by. And that is how you become a multiple time world champion folks uh, with, with humility. And, and, you know, there's a big part to that with training smart. Um, I mean, obviously you're, you're well known for your longevity and you don't, compete for as long as you do um, by doing dumb things, you know, maybe at some point when you're younger, but you can't consistently do that. And, and, you know, you see the way a lot of people abuse their bodies and, and the way that they train thinking that, oh man, this, you know, because it's harder, it's better. And that's not always the case. And so, you know, I, I think you, what you spoke to with, you know, finding good training partners, listening to your body, all that sort of thing. Doesn't mean that you were soft or took it easy on yourself or, or didn't work hard. You were just way more intelligent. And I think that is a big part of what allowed you to get to where you are. And I think that that's something that guys today maybe need to be reminded of because, you know, everybody wants to be a badass like Randy Couture. And maybe they'll look at the highlight videos of your most you know, extreme training and that sort of thing and not see, you know, when you were actually being smarter and, and making better decisions and, and, you know, how to navigate uh, more intelligently. You can't just come right out of the gate and just like, yeah, I'm going to train like a professional athlete because this is what these guys do. Like you got to ease into it and you know, you've got to, you know, really think your way through it, not just, um, you know, anger your way through it, at least not when you're older, you know, again, when you're 18 years old, for sure, man, go nuts, slam your head into a wall. But when you're, you know, when you're 30 something and you're trying to get back in shape, you're in your forties, you know, or more and trying to get back in shape. That's not the way to go. It's about resilience and persistence. Mm. You know, and probably consistency. Through, through consistent and persistent training, you develop a, a deeper reservoir of strength and resilience. And your body starts to recover and it starts to but that takes regularity. Uh, having those training partners is a huge piece of that because you don't want to get that text from that guy. Where were you this morning? Mm -hmm. Sleep in? What the hell? Nobody wants to let that guy, that guy would never let me down. Right. So how can I afford to let him down? So finding those partners, those people that you're accountable to is hugely important. That's where that iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another comes in. Mm -hmm. You're only as good as the guys you're on the mat with. If you're the big fish in that pond, you're probably not getting any better. You're not getting tapped out. You're not getting punched in the face. You better be in there with a group of killers that are pushing you to the limit. At the same time, they should be taking care of you too and not out to prove that they got your number. Yeah. Um, and you walk a fine line there. But I think just making that commitment and making it a regular part of your, of your routine is, is over the long run what, what's going to get you there.
Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. And, and there are so many gyms and, and places out there where guys are, they don't give a shit about each other. They're, they're just there for themselves. And I'm sure you've, you've been around those environments and, and train there and it, it's not sustainable and you'll have some good guys come through, but they'll also walk right out the door once it no longer serves their purpose. So the, the idea of finding guys that will push you, that'll hold you accountable, but will also look after you and, you know, it's, it's a team, it's a family. You know, I was really lucky training with, with Jeremy Horn and, and uh, Sean O'Connell and all of those guys, you know, and, and obviously they're a heck of a lot bigger than, than, than I am. And if they really wanted to hurt me, they could, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I, Sean is probably one of the hardest hitting humans that, that <laughs> I, I, I have ever met. And so at any point, if he wanted to, to end me, he could, but thankfully, you know, we could still train together. So finding an environment, you know, being around guys that care, man, that, that is huge. And, and again, like you said, you're not going to find that environment sitting on your couch. You have to go, you have to put yourself out there and you have to be humble, um, which I think, yeah, is, is really good advice. Um, talking about, you know, being a badass, because you had, you had mentioned, you know, finding badass guys. This was one of the questions from, from our uh, viewers. Actually, this is a guy, one of the guys from the league of Savage Gentlemen um, sent this mm-hmm. in when I told him we were going to be chatting. And the big question a lot of these guys have is like, okay, so you're, you're hanging out with all these, you know, Hollywood stars, some of the baddest ass dudes, dudes on the silver screen. Um, what's it like when they meet a real life badass like yourself, you know, is how, how does that play out? Because we've all looked up to these guys. We've all watched the movies, you know, the, the stars from Expendables and seen these guys in action there, but you've actually done it and lived it. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks were asking, what's, what's that like? Do they recognize like, Oh, he's the real deal. I think, yeah. I don't think any of them have any illusions. Well, I think most of them don't have any illusions. (laughs) One or two there that had some illusions that, that they wanted to, you know, to throw down or or give it a whirl. But, uh, most of them are they're, they're great guys. I, I, honestly, I felt like I was in my old locker room. Really, we're getting you know geared up to go out for the game, and <clears throat> which was the shoot. Mm-hmm. They're a great group of guys, um, and and all these people are normal humans, just like me, just like mm-hmm. you. And when you treat them that way, and you don't treat them with kid gloves and 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 like their shit don't stink, they appreciate that. <clears throat> So, yeah, there may have been a little trepidation, like, oh, God, I don't want to smart off to him. He might actually punch me in the mouth. Uh, you know, I, I certainly didn't get a lot of attitude from anybody, but I sure. wouldn't expect I would because I'm respectful to everybody. Again, that humility, mm-hmm. treating every single person, whether it's the key grip standing over there that's offering to go get me a cup of coffee, to, to the director. How do you judge a person's character? You judge his character by how he treats people he doesn't have to be nice to. It's a pretty simple litmus test. And so I've watched people dealing with other people. I mean, a movie set is probably 300 people Mm -hmm. all contributing to try and that one goal, get it all in a can so we can put it all together and show the world what we did. So it's a really kind of a unique experience. You have this little village of people that you get to know almost everybody there. And so you see the egos and the attitudes 
you, you know the which ones you need to kind of tiptoe around and you know the, the other ones that that are just normal folks just like you and this is what they love to do and 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 they took this job and and you know again simple litmus test i learned from a good friend of mine who's a stunt coordinator doug doug crosby he helped me get my sag card did some started out as a stunt guy on oz and and doug was the coordinator for oz doug is also a a judge in mma and that's how we met oh cool and i want to work with fighters you guys are amazing athletes you know i'd love to get you involved in some stunts it'll help you get your sag card i'm like i'm in and uh he's just been a great guy and it was one of the first things he told me on set on, on the set of oz so you can always judge a person's character by how they treat people they don't have to be nice to hmm. And I thought, man, that is, if that's not a great litmus test of somebody's character, I don't know what is. So, well, and I can up, held that up to everybody <laughs> I need as I yeah. see them interact with all these people that are on various levels of, of a, a small village of 300 people on a set. You get a real idea of where people are coming from and who they are. Well, and, and I can attest to you living that advice. And, and what, that's one of the things that, that probably impressed me the most was meeting you on set and seeing you interact with, with everyone on there from, you know, the person who's coming and, and, you know, delivering the catering to the director and everyone in between, you know, I noticed that you never, never shied away from conversation, you know, always around hanging out, happy to chat with whomever, take a picture. And you know, you see guys who are very well-known, very accomplished in certain environments, they could very easily duck off and, and hide and, and, you know, avoid a lot of the, a lot of that stuff. And, and you didn't, you know, you, you were there, you were accessible and you were every bit as kind to, you know, the, the day one new person to, you know, the, the, the Hollywood superstar that was walking on set. And I was like, man, that, that is really cool. That is probably more impressive than, you know, being in, in some of the other films and, and some of the, you know, other accomplishments, because yeah, you're right. That is how you can judge somebody's character. It's like, man, what a cool freaking dude. So yeah, it's not in, 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 you're not just talking about it. I mean, for the listeners, he is, he is about it. The man practices what he preaches. Like, cause I've seen it firsthand. Well, thanks. It was, it was a fun experience on dark angels. Mm -hmm. was, we're there. It was really cool. I love my vest. I get to wear that on occasion. It was a nice. big hit in the UK, honestly. Oh, okay. I could see it. I could <laughs> I see that. Yeah. Over, I, I flew over uh, in, in uh, late October to London to start filming Expendables 4 and mm -hmm. I wore the vest on the, on the plane and I got a couple of comments. Nice, nice. Yeah, uh, I, we hooked Randy up with uh, our Ketchum vest. And um, so you were over filming, yeah, you, you had just got done filming over in Greece, Expendables 4. How did how did that go? Was that pretty, it went pretty great. excited about that? It went really, really good. Had a lot of fun. Always good to see, you know, the, the guys. Uh, like I said, it does. It feels like your old, old high school team um like old home week and mm -hmm. uh getting to see sly getting to see statham you know Dolph. um always a pleasure to hang out with dolphin we're the only four originals okay. in in this expendables um brought in some new great people uh curtis johnson 50 cent uh, okay movie i've done with him and uh, i like him as an actor an amazingly intelligent man uh a lot of charisma and I really think he brought some interesting things to the character. Um, we had uh, 
Megan Fox uh, okay. was cast, um, and some interesting dynamics there, and and was fun to work with her. Uh, met her and Machine Gun Kelly was on mm -hmm. set a bunch with her, and he was super nice, super uh, super down to earth, and and very uh, willing and open to to kind of hang out with anybody. Nice. Um, Jacob Scipio and and Levi Tran were two younger actors that are up and coming, both very talented. They were added to the cast. And then one of my, uh, one of the guys I admire and have for a long time, Andy Garcia, mm -hmm. uh, played a role in this one, a big, a big character in this one. And man, what a professional that guy is. What an amazing dude. And you want to talk about a down to earth, just straight up friendly guy. Here's a guy that would just sit with anybody and he, he you know, and has literally been at the top of the business for a long, long time. He was very, very impressive. So I had a lot of fun. I think this is going to be a good one. I think all, you know, obviously we're all hopeful that it's a good one. And sure. it does, does well in the box office because then we'll get to make a fifth one. But, nice. Uh, um, so yeah, it was fun. You know, I, it's cool hearing that. And, and, and it's, it's so awesome that, you know, these, these guys that you, you know, grow up watching still getting out there and getting after it and still you know practicing their craft and when you see man when you when you see someone actually do that thing right it's it's almost magical the same way when you see someone in the cage put on you know put on that stellar performance yeah and you know just 10 minutes ago that guy was just kind of hanging out in the locker room and like super you know super relaxed and whatever and then boom flip the switch turn it on and man, they are just in that zone. And, and, and I think acting is cool in the same way where a guy can be, you know, doing his thing. And then all of a sudden the director says action and it's a complete shift. And, and to watch that is, is really impressive for me. And, and to see, you know, these, these guys that have been doing it for that long would be really cool to be on set and watch that in action. So yeah, I'm, they, I'm excited for this one to come out. That'll be cool. And, and what you, what you're describing brings, visions of watching Andy because he had some big monologues in this film and, and just was on point, had, had every word down, could make it his own. And, you know, it wasn't just some written words on the page that he memorized. He, he was just, he was really, really fun to watch a professional like that go. And it, it is an interesting process. It's not what most people think it is. Everybody thinks of the glamor and, and I don't know, I haven't seen too much glamor, honestly. It's, it's a grind. Yeah. You're, 12, 14 hour days <clears throat> for months on end to mm -hmm. get it all in the can and be able to put it all together. <clears throat> so it's been a, a very interesting thing to learn. It's not something I ever saw myself doing. Athletics opened that door for me about 20 years ago. Um, got a call from the UFC. Hey, these guys are in Hollywood are doing this movie called Cradle to the Grave with Jet Li and DMX. They want some authentic cage fighters for this underground fight scene. Are you, you want to do that? And it was me, Chuck and Tito all got the call to come play a, a role in this movie. And that was my first feature film, uh, back in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. That was, I, I remember that one. That was a good one. That was a fun one. I had one line in the movie. Let's go chicken shit. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> five times to Jet Li. It was like, God, if I got to say this again, holy <laughs> crap. But it was an interesting experience being on a set looking, it's kind of like going to Oz and, getting to pull the curtain back mm -hmm. and see the guy pulling all the levers and making all the smoke and fire. Uh, you kind of get a, a bird's eye look at the process of, of the magic. And it, it is kind of magic. And yeah. uh, so 
immediately was intrigued by it and uh, again, took it seriously, applied myself, saw the opportunity to, to do something after fighting uh, that'd be a little easier on the body. Um, and, and I feel again, very fortunate. I had that to transition to when I walked away from fighting, uh, in 2011. So mm -hmm. with, so, and then you said you've got your, you're jumping right into another one this week too, right? Um, you've got another project afternoon, um, driving into LA, um, starting a film there called the bell keeper. Okay. Uh, supernatural thriller i'm getting to play the lead in this it's going to be a lot of fun uh, i don't want to give away the plot okay pretty twisted you think you're watching one thing and there's something completely different kind of going on and, and uh saying so, it's you know uh the, the dichotomy of <clears throat> here's a an older pioneer from the 1870s that gets caught up in this supernatural twist transports us 100 years to the future in the in the 1970s okay <laughs> bunch of teenagers and, and a bunch of kids from that era um yeah it, it, it's, oh that sounds I, fun having that's I, I grew this out not just to honor <laughs> you, to, for uh to kind of fit into an 1870s character i was gonna say man the beard is looking good i'm not mad about it in there definitely yeah was, I can't dye that. I said, no, the whole reason I grow this is because I'm lazy. I don't want to dye it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, man, I, I, to me, the, the gray is a, is a badge of honor. Like I'm, I'm, I can't wait for, <laughs> for this thing to go gray and, 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 you know, I'm gonna look like a freaking wizard one of these days. It's going to be fantastic. Um, well, I'm excited for that one. And and is there any word on on Dark Angels when where that one's going to be? I haven't heard much. We sold it. I'm waiting on the deliverables th th this week. Um, it's I think it's sold to Paramount, so it may okay. end up Paramount streaming or somewhere, you know, in Paramount. But they're very happy with it. Um, I, I'm working with Mindy. She's right. She's written an mm -hmm. outline to write a sequel. Um, it was is intended to be a trilogy. Okay. Um, you kind of take dust till dawn and and Constantine and somehow roll those two storylines together and you have uh, dark angels. Mindy's uh, very clever and took all the female entities from all of man's religions and kind of brought these female entities all together. You know, Izanami from from Japanese culture and mm -hmm. we have our, our Hindu goddess and all, all these different goddesses that all kind of come together and um, created a story that's that kind of a test you know man's morality what you yep. know what, what is a uh, a sin what is what is a, a mortal sin and, and it kind of calls all that into question and we tend to complicate the hell out of everything as humans yeah i mean the golden rule is the golden rule for a reason it's that simple yeah uh, i mean well that it, it is but what i what i really liked about that i mean the the, the writing and the storyline that she did on it was fantastic because you know in the, the the soldier's perspective and the dilemma that the main character faces yeah. in that is like holy shit and it's not something that you know we maybe i'm wrong but i don't feel like we really address those things in society as well as we probably should and could be so it's so it's interesting that through art you know, and through, through film, we can express that and bring up some of these deeper ideas of like, well, what is right? What is wrong? You know, mm -hmm. and the sacrifices that, that we as men are, are forced to take. And, and, you know, especially our, our armed service guys, where you split decision, yeah. 
make some of these judgment calls. Um, Those moral dilemmas are a huge thing and they're a huge issue. You know, that's part of that PTSD or whatever label you want to slap on that, that, that vehicle is we're you know, taught not to show those vulnerabilities and weakness. We stuff all those feelings down and, and then longer and harder we stuff those down, the more of a problem it becomes. It starts to poison us from the inside out. You got to let those things out. Can't stuff them. You got to show them. You got to let them out, let them mm-hmm. out in the light of the day. Do that obviously with somebody you trust immensely. Um, you don't want to show that vulnerability to just anybody. Right have to overcome our training in some way and let some of those demons out, let some of those more dilemmas out so we can find a way to deal with them and, and wrap our brain around them and, and move forward in a positive way. And that, again, that's that peer on peer counseling and MVP. I've seen this every week. I mean, it's so amazingly powerful when it happens uh, that somebody opens up and lets some of that stuff out. And sometimes it can be very uncomfortable for everybody in the room. Mm-hmm certainly for the person that's opening up, but uh, I think it's an important step. And we, you're right, as a society, we need to do a better job of creating those places where we can open up and show those vulnerabilities and let that stuff out so it doesn't get in the way and affect our, our positive life. Well, and I think it's really important that the guys like you, right, that, that, you know, man, no one's going to question Randy Couture's manliness or badassery or whatever, right? It, it is, you know, <laughs> it's beyond reproach, right? It's like, yeah, okay, sure. You're going to, you're going to call this guy a sissy or, or whatever, like, all right, idiot, you know? So, so that we have guys like you that are, that are delivering this message and that are, you know, letting guys know like, Hey man, you got to work through this stuff. You can't press it down. You need to find some trusted individuals and, you know, it is going to be uncomfortable, but I I don't know about you, but I think I, I would guess that, a lot of your success in life and everything that you've done is because you are comfortable with being uncomfortable and these, you know, confronting our demons and whatever we're dealing with, I, I, I say is no different than literally physically getting punched in the face or getting, you know, whatever, whatever painful thing we're going through. It's uncomfortable. It sucks. Training is hard. Fighting is hard. Everything, you know, worth doing is, is hard, but confronting yeah. these emotional things man, you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Well, frankly, I, I would rather be punched in the face a lot of times than, than deal with a bunch of that, a bunch of that stuff, but we all have it. Every yep. single one of us has that baggage. The, the first seven years of our development are pretty important times and never have you been in your life told, no, you're a bad boy. Don't do that. Or, or all those things in those first seven years of your life, language acquisition skills, all those things are happening in those first seven years. And I think in a lot of ways, we're all trying to overcome the baggage that we acquired in those first seven years. Now, certainly there are other mitigating circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in as we grow up and, you know, you get beat up, you get bullied, you get picked on, you have an abusive parent. You have, I mean, there, you can think of a million different ways that again, we start piling on baggage. Now you go throw yourself into the army to escape that. And now you think you've escaped it. And now you're in a combat zone being shot at and having to, defend yourself and you just keep piling all this stuff on and you just try and keep stuffing it down because you don't want to show that to anybody. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, you're divorced and nobody wants to be around you because you're a miserable fuck. Yep. You've got to find a way to let that crap out, wrap your brain around it, show it the light of day and, and, and start finding a way to be positive and, and let all that stuff go. Man, maybe that should be the title of this episode. Don't be a miserable fuck with Rainy Couture. <laughs> 
I don't, I don't know if we can, uh, we'll work on it. Maybe that, that title might need some polishing, <laughs> but I, I think it's definitely um, good words of wisdom there. And, and like I said, man, it's, it's really cool that, and very inspiring that you're out there doing that. And, and hopefully it's something that, you know, more guys see and, and pick up the torch and say, you know what, man, I, I really am digging what, what he's doing. And I think some of these lessons and some of these things I can apply to, to my sphere. You know, we see a lot of guys online talking shit about man, kids today and men today and the world today and this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, okay, you've identified some problems and you're probably Mm -hmm. not wrong. What are you doing about it other than pissing and moaning on the internet? What are you doing to actually make things better? When's the last time you showed a hipster how to change a tire? Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy to get frustrated with some of the stuff that's going on in this millennial mindset and, and a lot of the things that are going on. And then I go walk the wards at Walter Reed or Bethesda and, and meet a, a few of those kids fresh off the battlefield, missing limbs and, and so fired up to get their prosthetics so they could go back because their buddies are still there. And I'm like, what the, are you, Damn. you know, and, and in some ways that, that is a messed up situation, but you realize, you know what, we're okay. This generation's not, we're, we're, we're making a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah, they're different and they think a little bit different than we do, but it's not, it's not like we're done. Mm-hmm. We're going to be just fine. The resilience, the, the character, it's all still there. It's, it's, it's a little bit different. And yeah, it's such an odd time in human existence right now. We are never more connected than we have ever been right now. Look at us. Yeah. We're talking to each other on this screen. I mean, we have never been more connected and at the same time in that same breath, more isolated. We, we, I, we're always like this. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, the human connection is, is dissipating slowly. It's trickling away because we're more interested in, what's on that screen in this virtual reality that we can kind of affect and make what we want instead of stepping up and dealing with real reality and what's well, really good. Yeah. Well, it's, it's way easier. You know what I mean? It's a lot easier for me to watch workout videos on Instagram than it is to me for me to carry my ass out in my barn when it's 30 <laughs> degrees out there and no heat and start swinging some kettlebells or whatever. Right. That's way you know, it's way less committal. And I think that that is the biggest thing is we've been able to get away with it for too long. You know, it's like, well, there's no real penalty now for not being fill in the blank, right? Manly enough, strong enough, fast enough, right? You know, you can still go to work and do your job, whether or not you can squat, squat three times your body weight or whatever. But, you know, the, the human animal that we are that evolved over however many millennia to be at this point like still has these very basic desires of what it means to be functional and if we don't do those in real life not in vr not in pretend on video games you know going out and hunting animals or whatever if we don't do those things in in actual real time with other people things are going to get a little bit squirrely. And I know for myself, man, if I go too long without getting on the mat and sweating and bleeding a little bit, man, things are not like they should be. And so I've got to, I get to get back into that to, to kind of offset and, and balance, like you said, all this technology that's constantly being shoved in my face. It's not, it's not natural. It's not normal. We've got to, got to balance that out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
it's uh yeah who knew the matrix and ready player one were documentary oh, i know it's it's, <laughs> it's really easy to get sucked into that rabbit hole and see where where potentially we're headed in the future it could be freaky it can be a bit scary honestly it's 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 a weird it's a weird thing but uh yeah you know it, it all boils down to to courage mm. Aristotle believed that first of all human virtues was courage because without courage, none of the others exist. Mm. And uh, it takes courage to step up and show weakness, show vulnerability. Everybody wants to call that weakness, but that's actual courage. That's strength to be able to do that in the right setting and with the right people. I think it's very, very important to have the courage to be able to do that. And, And that guy that wants to call you out for showing that vulnerability is the one that's hiding behind his ego. It yeah. doesn't have the courage to step up because every single one of us has the baggage, has the struggles. Not there's not a single one of us out there that doesn't. Mm. No. That's a it, it, you talking about courage. It's it's interesting you bring that up because that was another one of the questions that that someone had for you was how how did you manage to muster the courage to go out and compete, you know, kind of coming back from retiring and, and competing at the age that you were against all these young bucks, you know, guys that are up and con- coming and, you know, absolute savages. And yeah, man, that can be a pretty scary proposition, especially when you've kind of already proved everything there is to prove in the sport to, to come back and still put yourself out there to me does take a lot of courage. What, what, what would you attribute that to? Do you think? I- Again, I think a wrestler's mindset, it started at 11 years old, walking out into the center of that mat in the gymnasium full of my peers, wearing the compulsory uniform of that era, a pair of tights and a singlet. Mm-hmm. Forget about winning or losing. That was some courage right there. Uh, you know, maybe get tied up in a knot with my butt sticking up. I mean, who knows where yeah. I'm going to end up with that. So you become comfortable w- with the potential that you're going to look silly that you're, you're going to lose and the, you know it's not going to go well and you learn you're going to get out of it exactly what you put into it so if i spend all that time in the training room shoring up those techniques getting myself in shape to go out there and, and be as wide open as i need to go to put myself in the best position to win i can be comfortable with the outcome i can i can say you know what i did everything i know how to do and embrace that adversity if that guy kicks my ass uh, those losses are some of the most important fights and matches that I was ever in. Yeah. Because that forced me to analyze what the heck I was doing, where I went wrong, what I do. You know, I thought I had this figured out. You know, I won this and I won that. And now I get my ass handed to me. You know, I was like, what the hell? I thought I had this figured out. No, you constantly happen to progress, constantly have to change, improve, do things smarter, do things better. And that adversity you face forces you to analyze that, forces you to look at that. So why would you want to shy away from that? Right? You have that, to break it. No, You've that's a great to- point. I, I think I think too many people though, they they've it's been ingrained in them this fear of failure that that you know the worst thing that you could ever do in the world, the worst thing imaginable is mm-hmm. to fail at something. You know, yep. and, and for some reason we have we have bought this lie that that is you know, the, the, the utmost, uh, horrible thing that, that we can experience is failure. And really, I think not trying at all is far worse, you know? So yeah. I, I, I like, I like what you're saying is like, man, I'm going to go out there. I, I I've paid my dues. I've done 
the right things. And I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. I'm I'm doing what I love to do. There's no guarantee I'm going to be successful when I walk out on that mat or up in that cage, but I'm doing what I have a passion for, what I love to do. I love this journey. I love this test, this kinetic chess match that I've Mm -hmm. set myself up in. There's no guarantee I'm going to win, but you know, it it is what it is. Uh, I think the biggest thing I see in people is that they, they limit themselves. They, they set up scenarios and they create a situation where they're, they limit themselves. They don't have to worry about experiencing that fear and failing. So they're never branching out and taking any risks or doing anything outside of that little box so that they don't have to experience fear. They don't have to put themselves out there and and they don't have to fail. Well, we, you're not failing from time to time. You are not trying. No. You're not putting yourself you're not, that you're Superman or Wonder Woman. I'll let you identify <laughs> with who you identify with. But you're, you're not putting yourself out there. You're going to fail. How yeah. many shots did Michael Jordan miss? How many, you know, how many shots did Tyra Wood miss? These are guys that we consider the greatest at their, at their endeavor. You know, they put themselves out there and they weren't afraid to fail. I, I think... And, and we're seeing it right now. I think what happens when you put safety above all else, right? And whether that's your physical safety, the safety of your ego, or whatever, you can find yourself into this small box, like what you're talking about, right? You 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 set the parameters and don't go outside of those because everything outside of that is scary and dangerous. And, you know, I could fail or something bad could happen. And so I cushion myself and I insulate myself from everything around me. And the next thing you know, well, you're wrapped in bubble wrap and you're suffocating to death. And, and yeah. I think, I think a lot of, a lot of people are, are experiencing that. And it's a, it's a really slow, painful death and it's, it's tragic to watch. And so I think this idea, you know, that you're talking about of like not setting those limits and pushing yourself and going beyond and, and letting yourself potentially fail at something, but, but try, I think, I think more people, we, we need to adopt that mentality, not, well, let me just sit back and hopefully, you know, someone else will take care of this. And, you know, there, there's other people that are, calling the shots. I'll just let them do, do the thing. Cause you know, they're in charge and I'll just do what I'm told. Oh, everybody talks about six world championships. That means I lost it at least five times. And the truth is I lost it all six times. You know, my fight record is 19 and 11. It's not like I won all the time. I've right. my pick plenty of times. But like I said, those, those times I lost were, were the most important times in my career. That was the time I had to really, you know, grab myself by the bootstraps, take a good hard look at where I was and what I was doing and, and how I could come back and, and do better and be better. And was, you know, the people that really mattered, the people that really cared about me were still there, whether I yep. won or lost. Mm-hmm. That's, again, fans are fleeting. They're, they're, they're a fickle bunch. They find those real core group of people that you can rely on, that you can trust, that, that are going to be there whether you win or whether you lose where you can show that weakness and that vulnerability and not worry about it with them. They're going to help you wrap your brain around it and move forward in a positive way. That that's putting yourself in the best environment to continue to challenge those boundaries. We all have those boundaries and and push that boundary back. Yeah, that you're absolutely right. One of the best lessons we can learn, I think is that, the sun is going to, no matter what, the sun is going to come up the next day. You know what I mean? Um, well, for the most part, I mean, sometimes, you know, you might, 
as we get older, we, that might not be, you know, as true, but generally speaking, you know, that, but, that, and you bring up, you bring up another point. I mean, that's why you have to live your life now because there's no guarantee. You don't know when you're going to draw that last breath in. Mm. Why would you want to do that and have any regrets? Well, I was going to do this and I was going to do that. Man, get about doing those things. What are you waiting for? Yeah. The perfect opportunity. Make it, make it happen. So, yeah, you don't know. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. You better live your life today. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, I, we've got a couple of other questions here. I just want to get to, and we'll see where they go. We're looking, we're looking pretty good on time, but I don't want to, and I'm sure you've got important stuff you gotta, you gotta get to. And speaking of getting after it, um, someone wanted to know, uh, best no gi grappler that you've trained with. Best no gi grappler. Wow, man. I had, uh, Jacare Ronaldo D'Souza mm -hmm. in the, uh, Drysdale. Okay. In the, um, both of those guys were remarkable. You know, Vinny Magalesh, um, amazing grappler. And, and uh, you know, those, those, all three of those guys are world champions. They're amazing, amazing athletes. What was fun about having those guys in the, in the gym at the same time is you'd ask one of them to show, you know, how do you do your triangle? And they would all have this unique little twist on how they set it up and how they created the trap and how they, how they finished it. My ground coach, Neil Melanson, he, he had a bunch of little slick techniques that helped him, you know, put a triangle on properly or, 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 you know, access the technique he was trying to do. And just the little nuances that made it individual and made it work for him. And his was completely different. Uh, that made it work for him. I, I just thought that was really, really interesting and intriguing. But those guys were phenomenal, phenomenal grapplers. And uh, definitely the, the whole jujitsu thing was something I had to get, I had to come to terms with and, and make friends with. You know, I've been a wrestler since I was 10 years old. Being on your back was not the place you wanted to be at a wrestling match. So figuring out how to get comfortable there and operate from there was a huge part of, of my transition into MMA and becoming mm -hmm. a well-rounded MMA fighter. So, um, yeah, it's been a fun thing. It took me about 14 years to finally get my black belt. Um, you know, Neil Melanson was who I worked with under Gokar and, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was, it's been a fun journey. That's cool. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, those guys are absolutely at the pinnacle of their game and it, it is, it is cool that something such a simple technique, like the triangle is something you learn pretty much like the first week, you know, I mean, that's, that's one of the very first submission submissions that you're taught. And, you know, like anything, the, the intricacies, you know, at the highest level is it's, it, it's almost impossible to fathom to the beginner, right? When you see someone who is, who is, a master at their craft, right? Mm -hmm. And the slightest things that they can do that are almost imperceptible to, to yeah. the untrained eye. It, it really is cool. And then each individual person having their own different nuance and flavor that they can spin on that. That's, that's super cool. Um, I haven't, I haven't trained with, with any of those guys. I imagine I, I could, I could see Jacare just being an absolute monster though. Like I, there, there's certain guys an amazing story I mean, he was literally a, an orphan grew up uh, the, the the owner of the dojo took him in and let him let him live in the dojo no um, shit and he got his membership by keeping the place clean and literally started you know 
as a as a street kid living in this dojo in in Brazil. I mean, he's, he's a really interesting guy uh, and an amazing athlete. Oh. Now, amazing athlete. Well, and and man, that's that's so cool that with with fighting and with martial arts that you can have these kind of swords because he's not the only one. There's so many guys that you know fighting has been that vehicle to give to give the opportunity to you know rise above your station and and go from you know a really really terrible position and and kind of dealt a really shitty hand and you know through through your own work and and someone taking a chance on you like that that's there's a part of it there's some opportunity that does occur but man for the most part kind of clawing your way up to where now you're you know a highly decorated you know world champion athlete that is kind of a household name in in the sport i mean that's pretty damn cool yeah it's an amazing story it's great so then talking about fighters kind of then and now this was another big one where where guys and you probably get this question um somewhat frequently what what would you say is is the biggest difference or how would you define the difference between kind of the old school guys and then the fighters of today because you know, they're the guys today. I mean, even, even the guys that are, I mean, I say guys today, I'm, I'm guys today, but I'm even kind of older on the older end of the spectrum. Some of these up and coming kids are like, you know, it is, it's, it's very different. What do you see as a, as a big difference between the guys back in your day and some of these younger guys? If we look at the progression of the, the sport of MMA, I feel like that first generation of fighters and, and I'm kind of on the tail end of that first generation of fighters. The sport started in 93, um, predominantly in, in Japan and, and Brazil, and it migrated to the U.S. in 93. There weren't a lot of organizations that, at that time. It was called No Holes Barred. Um, obviously, there are some holes that are barred, so that moniker doesn't fit anymore, but uh, that's what we called it back then. And this first generation of fighters was out to prove that their martial arts style was the best, the best for fighting in, in a real fighting situation. What we all witnessed was obviously the grappling arts seemed to have a distinct advantage. Most mm -hmm. fights end up in grappling situations and certainly on the ground. Guys like Hoist Gracie and the, and the Gracie, I mean, this was in many ways, the Gracie's revolutionized martial arts and, and dispelled a lot of the Hollywood mysteries uh, that, that, that were prevalent uh, with what they did. Um, all those guys were out to prove that their style was the best. And we recognized that there was no one style that encompassed everything you needed and, and everything, everything you needed to know. And I kind of came in on the end of that first generation, recognized that wrestling was a great place to start, but not the be all and end all. I had a lot of stuff I needed to learn to be well-rounded and not get a weakness exploited. Mm -hmm. Fun when somebody exploits a glaring weakness in, in your game. So um, we started cross-training. I started learning kickboxing, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, you know, playing on my back, learning how these submission holds work in these different positions and trying to learn all these other things uh, to go with my wrestling background. You know, guys like, uh, Anderson Silva and Vitor Belfort were coming from the other side of that coin. They were very astute boxers and strikers. They were trying to learn all the grappling stuff and, and the other stuff as well. Um, and that's this second generation that were willing to cross train, kind of walk away from their, their base style and put themselves out there to learn all this other stuff. Yeah, and then 
there was a whole bunch of kids that saw us as like, that's what I want to be. And now this third generation of, of athletes that have grown up being, I'm going to be a mixed martial artist since they were little. They don't care about a belt. They don't care about any of that stuff. They may have those things and acquired those things in their journey, but this is what they set out to be. And those are the kids we're watching fight now. And they're amazing. They're, they're incredible athletes, well-rounded strikers in all aspects of the game. And, uh, and it's, it's a, fun time i think that second era uh where it overlaps with the third generation is kind of that golden era of fighting it's it's uh they've saturated the market a little bit there's probably two fight shows every weekend now um you know there there's so many fighters that i mean i don't know 80 percent of them and i used to know every single person in the game yep. it's really really exploded on a global level, which is great. Certainly a great time to be a fighter. But as far as the fans go, I think they kind of missed that golden era that there was something special when there was only eight pay-per-views a year. And, you know, there wasn't a fight every single weekend and they spent a little more time kind of building stars and, and, and doing some of the things that they don't spend a lot of time doing now. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a puppy mill. I mean, yeah. you, you lose two fights, boom, you're getting Gone. the boot. A new guy stepping right up in that spot. So uh, it's become a little corporate and, and they've, they've, they've watered it down a little bit. But uh, it's still, I think, the combative sport for this generation, for sure. No, I, I think without question. I mean, you know, you're seeing, I don't know. It almost feels blasphemous to say this. So don't, don't, don't hang up on me when I say this. But we see, I don't know if I can even call it boxing, but we do see that there has been somewhat of a resurgence in the interest of boxing with some of the, the spectacle. I guess that's the best way to describe what's been going on with that sport as of late. And you see the, you know, the, the YouTube stars getting in there and doing their thing. But there's also a lot of, you know, actual really good boxing that has taken place on the, those cards. So, you know, there's a little bit of resurgence and fanning in the flame of that, but I, but I agree with you. I think, I think MMA has, has surpassed boxing and pretty much all else as the premier combat sport of, of this generation. And I, I, I don't see it being supplanted, but it is tricky when, when you're kind of turning and burning, you know, athletes and you have so many events and so many guys that you really can't, you can't get to know the fighters, right? And really people are just tuning in to see, you know, mayhem, guys, bedlam. Who guys bludgeon each other. Yeah. Yeah. Who's who's gonna bleed the most, right? And not and and not really enjoying like, man, what is the you know, the the artistic side of the martial mm -hmm. art, right? And man, I I'm all for a highlight real knockout, you know. I'm yeah. never gonna thumb my nose at that, but there's so much more to the sport than just seeing guys um and when you it's, it's trending towards the WWE model. Whoever pulls the best publicity stunt and talks the most shit mm -hmm. is the guy that's getting the headlines and, and getting the nod in the rankings and getting the title shot and all that because they know he's probably going to sell pay-per-views and people are going to come tune in to watch and see him get his ass kicked mm -hmm. or win. So, I mean, it's honestly, it's, it's trending that way. But, uh, yeah, I... Uh, I don't know. It's 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 uh, still a sport I love. I don't think boxing is ever going to go away. No, I, I'm a huge boxing fan. It's my favorite movie. Tie was actually my favorite style to train in, as far as the striking striking really? arts. Uh, there was so many similarities to Greco-Roman wrestling and mm. movie. Really astonishing to me. I trained under Sifu out of South Africa, 
uh, Quinton Chong, who's a Muay Thai world champion. He literally lived with me for for quite a few months, uh, getting ready for a couple of fights and cornering me. And I learned a ton from him. He's, he's, a, he's a great guy. And, and uh, he really introduced me and immersed me into Muay Thai and the off-balancing and the way they use their hips and, and uh, just a whole bunch of things that translated directly from Greco-Roman wrestling, which was a was like one of these little pieces of candy that you you get so excited about when mm-hmm. you find the, you know, I don't think boxing's ever going to go away. I think people have gotten a little disenchanted with some of the decisions that come out in boxing. It's like, no way he won that fight. What are the judges looking at? And we're seeing a little of that in MMA too, in some instances. <laughs> but at the end of the day, um, I think people recognize the limits of boxing too. Okay, well, what if he took you down? What are you going to do then? Great, you got knockout power. Can you do that from your back? I think those, those are the questions that start coming up. In comparing the two, they're apples and oranges in many, sure. many ways. What I like about the thrillers and these crossover matches, and obviously, I had the match with James Tony back in 08 in Boston. It was one kind of, of the- my favorite. That that okay. might be one of my favorite fights of all time. Like that was one of the coolest things. I just gotten into the sport at that point, and and obviously you know, wrestling was very near and dear to my heart as a wrestler. And, and so seeing, seeing a wrestler on top, number one, and then seeing, you know, cause all my friends are like, yeah, you know, you think you're good at fighting, but just cause you can wrestle, but a boxer would do this, that. And it's like, yeah, no, I don't think so, bro. And then, so <laughs> to see that actually pan out in real time was, was very validating for me. And just like, um, man, what a triumphant win for MMA, in my opinion. Well, I was honored to get the nod, and and uh, I think originally they were talking to Chuck about that fight, mm. and and then they thought, well, Chuck might just be crazy enough to try and stand in front of James Tony and punch with him. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting the getting the call, and and uh, I've been answering those questions from the time of UFC 13, my first fight, you know, boxing versus MMA, you know, and, and it's just been this question, and. Uh, both technically and and production wise, why do boxers make so much money? You know, and and you guys don't make any anywhere near that amount. And so if the Triller and guys like Jake Paul are doing anything, they're shining a light on the difference between boxing and boxing pay and MMA and MMA pay and why that is. So, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of, of chatterboxing, but if it takes a guy like Jake Paul to poke Dana White and, and shine a light on that disparaging difference in the way we're being treated in MMA and taken advantage of, in my opinion, um, then, you know, I'll get behind that. I'll, you know, obviously I've known Tyron Woodley since he was in college in Missouri mm-hmm. and been a, a, a part of his journey through the sport of MMA. Was I happy to see him get clubbed and knocked out? Hell no. Um, should he have stepped up and taken that fight? On short notice, probably not, but I bet that check cleared. Oh, guaranteed. Uh, I was, you know, and man, I've, I've gotten knocked out for way less. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> no, I, it, it, it is a double-edged sword because yeah, what, what that is doing for the sport to show the disparity, I think is phenomenal. And, and, and to get these guys paid, to give these opportunities that otherwise would have never existed, I, I think is huge. The, the part that I don't like is that it, that it does 
feed into the very superficial kind of TikTok culture of today, which which I don't think is great, and I and I don't necessarily want to applaud that, but but it's also kind of a man having your cake and eat it too. It's like I it puts me in a weird in a weird spot. You know, I don't, I don't believe, like you said, in the, in, in the trash talking and, you know, the, the shenanigans and the spectacle of it, but Vitor Belfort knocked out Evander Holyfield. Is there any planet that, you know, 10 years ago, you, you would have said that was going to happen. I mean, that was pretty crazy. Anderson Silva. I mean, why isn't Jake Paul picking an MMA guy that can really strike? I know he wants no parts of Anderson Silva, man. He looks so good out there. It was, I I've been pushing, I've been pushing them to go with Jeremy Horn, honestly, who is, who is a very underrated striker. And and he's, I mean, he's, he's super good, but you know, everyone recognizes him for his grappling, but man, he's still, he's still actively training. I mean, he fought, he fought, I want to say maybe not this last year because of COVID he was scheduled to fight again this last year. And it's like, dude, fight him because he's the most unassuming person you could ever imagine. And people like, Oh, Jake Paul's going to kill this guy, this old man. Oh, that would be so good. I I tried to get (laughs) I tried to get Sean to pull some strings. I was like, hey, man, you're the PFL world. This is right after he won. You're the PFL world champion. You got to know some people that could make this happen. He's like, no, sorry, dude. I don't have that kind of clout. <laughs> yeah, I bet we could make that happen. I, Man, that would be but super you know cool. What it, would take would be t- it would take getting on YouTube and getting Sean to, to run his head. And I don't think that's in Sean's character. I don't no. know. That's the big missing link here. You know, it's going to take another guy like Jake Paul who's willing to get on YouTube and go way out on a limb and run his head to, mm-hmm. to generate the interest to make a fight like that happen. Yeah. And, you know, the, the guy, the respectable guys are respectable for that reason because they're exactly. not going to, you know, I mean, you're, you're not going to be that guy. I'm probably not going to be that guy. Sean, Jeremy, you know. And so and that's know, why guess, we love those guys because they all do that. That's true. That's a really good point. That's damn it. Uh, classic conundrum. <laughs> oh man. Well, Randy, this is, this has been super awesome. I, I, I appreciate you coming on and taking the time and, and, you know, I, I love how, you know, this is something that I saw, you know, once we, once we became, you know, besties on, on Facebook going through and seeing like some of the stuff, like, you guys might not know this, but Randy's a pretty prolific writer. Um, you know, some of the, some of the poetry and little pieces that, you know, that you've put out, it's like, holy shit, man, that's, it's very unexpected, you know, not that it should be because, you know, the idea of a savage gentleman should be the standard, not, not, you know, that should be the norm and you certainly are one. And so it's always, it's, it's really cool to see, you know, someone who can be a total savage, but also like a complete gentleman, which, which you absolutely, absolutely are. Well, thank you. I, 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 yeah, a lot of people don't know about that side of me. Um, I always kind of had this weird artistic side, did, did some sketching and drawing and some art classes in college. I was a foreign language and literature major at Oklahoma State. I got a degree in foreign language and literature, I focused on German because I was stationed in Germany for three years in the army and uh, suffered greatly from the language barrier, wrestled for a German club team um, and just had an amazing experience over there for three years. So when I got the opportunity to go to Oklahoma State and wrestle, I knew the one thing I wanted to take were German classes. 
So then we started learning about, you know, all the classics, Cervantes and you know, Kafka and Schiller and, and Goethe and, and, you know, all the Russian, you know, all of them. I, got to, mm -hmm. I had to read all of them at one point. So I uh, started writing and writing prose and poetry in, in college. It's just nobody, I never, it's something about turning 50. And I don't know why. Okay. Maybe half a century of life experience. I don't know, but it wasn't 40. 40 wasn't that big a deal. I was still getting punched in the face. And, you know, it, it was, you know, there were just numbers. I didn't think about it at all. You just do what you do. But there was something about my 50th birthday that was kind of like, wow, half a century. That's, that's pretty crazy. And uh, it was after that that I kind of started sharing some of these other facets of, of who I am and uh, the things I like to do, the things that make me tick, if you will. But uh, and the poetry was kind of one of them. I'm actually kind of being encouraged. Mindy and, and some of the other folks that know that I write those things want me to put a book out of, of poetry, which uh, I may end up doing. Uh, we'll see. But uh, yeah, that's badass. No, I, I you know count me in the list of, of those encouraging that. I think that it's super cool. And, and, and it's, and it's good stuff. I'm going through and reading like, holy shit, my man, Randy Couture is deep, you know, and not that, again, not that that should come as a surprise, but you know, I don't, I don't think a lot of guys are willing, like we spoke earlier to put themselves out there, you know, because to, to write, to make art is, is a level of vulnerability. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I was scared to put that out there to show that side of me to, oh yeah, I, I write poetry. You know, Isn't that was, funny though? Like willing, willing to walk into combat, willing to step into the cage in front of millions of people and possibly get your head caved in, you know, no fear. Well, I'm not no fear, but definitely able to step out and do that. And then, you know, something is, is mundane is writing a few lines of prose is, uh, I don't know if I should hit send on that. Yeah, it'll make you butt pucker for sure. Yeah, that's it's weird, man. It's so weird. And but that's that's the cool thing that you know we can all have these experiences and, and we all have the different things that that make yeah. our butt pucker, right? And and your thing might not be my thing, but we all have that one thing. And if we can learn to, you know, walk through whatever that is, we can have that courage because. Other guys are out there doing it. It's not like you weren't ever afraid when you stepped in the cage. Like it wasn't like you're immune to fear. Like there's still like, oh shit, man, this is kind of scary. Oh, yeah, hell yes. But you do it anyway. First time walking out that tunnel and facing a 300 pounder. I'm like, what did I get myself into? I wasn't sure whether I was going to pee myself and climb the cage or stay in there and fight. I mean, it was, I was like, wow. And then the fans on top of that, ripping at your clothes. And I mean, I was never experienced anything like that in my life. It was, it was surreal. And uh, again, you just get that narrow tunnel vision, go into that wrestler's mindset. Here's the problems. The rest of this stuff goes away. It's a dull roar in the background and, and you stay laser focused on what you're trained to do. Super cool, man. Um, Randy, if, if people want to look into some of the stuff that we talked about, um, all, all the projects and the things that you're doing, where, where are the best places for them if they want to get involved in MVP or some of the other nonprofit stuff or any of your stuff, where would you send them? Yeah, the charities are easy. Uh, XCGIF.org. That's Extreme Couture GI Foundation.org. That's in players.org. 
for any of you veterans out there that are, that are wanting to connect to the, to the veteran community, that's a great place. We have Zoom meetings every week. We're in seven cities right now. We're getting ready to uh, start pushing to open in Phoenix uh, up. We just opened in Dallas and Seattle. Uh, we're in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, uh, Chicago, uh, Atlanta, New York City, Seattle, and Dallas right now. And we're coming to Phoenix in pretty short order. Um, I'm at XC Natch uh, on Instagram. Uh, there is another Randy Couture out there somewhere that already had that Instagram handle. So, uh, you know, obviously they called me the natural and the gym is Extreme Couture. So XC Natch on Instagram. Um, Randy underscore Couture on Twitter. And Randy the Natural Couture is the fan page on Facebook. Um, all that stuff that I'm doing, the charity stuff, that's all out there. Uh, you can kind of, uh, I post some pictures and poetry on Instagram and, and Facebook. And so all that stuff is out there somewhere in cyberspace. <laughs> uh, but uh, I appreciate you, Josh. Thanks for reaching out. Uh, thanks for having me on. My pleasure, man. Really, really grateful to, to finally have you on. I mean, you know, someone who who've always looked up to in the sport and then got the chance to meet and hang out with and is like holy shit man we've got to got to get the got to record a conversation with this guy because i think it's necessary i really do everything that you're doing and and these conversations need to get out to to folks because you know the the, the savage gentleman is alive and well in in guys like you and um just appreciate everything you're doing man thanks for thanks for coming on you bet brother thank you appreciate it